A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti in the studio this week. I'm joined by Alison Rudd, Rory K. Smith, and, delighted to say, making his seasonal debut for us, it's Clive Petty. Coming up, we'll be talking Manchester United and Everton, plus the ongoing debate about international commitments. But first, let's take a look at Chelsea and Arsenal. John Obi Mikel, Fabregas, and Diego Costa's on his way here. Is this number nine for the season? Yes, it is. Chelsea lead by two goals to nil. It just had to be Diego Costa. And inevitably, the assist once again comes from Cesc Fabregas, the former Arsenal player. All right, now, I, I, I'd love to talk about the football side of things first, and, and we'll get to that. I don't know. I, I think we have to start with, with, with Wenger and, and Mourinho. Not just the build-up, but for those who didn't see this, Wenger, after the tackle by Gary Cahill on Alexis Sanchez, it's by the sidelines. Wenger decides he's going to stride across, presumably to see if Sanchez was okay or, or maybe to help the referee make a decision. Uh, he walks into Mourinho's uh, technical area. Mourinho steps to him, and there's a shove. Now, Allison, most narratives have Wenger with the moral high ground and with Mourinho as the, the, the troublemaker and the instigator and whatever else. Did he kind of lose whatever moral high ground Wenger might have had here? Ooh, well, I don't, I don't think any of this is serious enough to give it the phrase moral high ground anyway. I, really? I don't, even, I don't even think it's that interesting, to be quite honest. <laughs> Mourinho... Trudge, trudges up and down the touchline going into other people's technical areas all the time and uh, it works for him it always seems to work for him if, if he wants to make a big show uh, getting a word to someone who doesn't happen to be near him where, where he, sh- he should be standing he gets make sure he gets a word with someone he needs a word with he, his movements, his antics, influence officials or he tries to make that the case Avenger, it's a nasty tackle he's cross I he sort of, Mourinho, I sort of believe Wenger when he says all he was trying to do was get from A to B. I he know shoves Roy doesn't agree Mourinho. with me. And Mourinho blocks his path, so he has a little shove at him. And it's it's a bit pantomime, it's a little bit silly. I don't think it I don't think it implies this is a man who just can't bear to lose yet another game to Mourinho and he's sort of losing the plot and it's got to him. I think he I think he wound the players up before the game. I think he really wanted to try and instill a sense of we know what's coming. 
let's be a stronger team than we normally are against Chelsea. And he, he, he got it wrong. He didn't realise quite how niggly and, and well-organised Chelsea were going to be. And it just got to him a little bit. But I don't, I don't think he's lost any moral, moral high ground he may have had. I've, I've often seen Wenger looking... Uh, petulant and um, not literally shoving people, but looking like he, he would be on the verge of doing so. I don't. I don't feel he's a manager who has gone through eighteen years always having the ha- high moral ground at all. He, 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 does, he does, does have a history of shoving. Though, he loves a shove. He's got to. Um, yeah. He's got to rein this in sometimes. As soon as things don't go his, as soon as things don't go his his way. I mean, you know, if this, if this had been another manager, we would be talking about a fine or something by now. I think it was some reason Dicker. I think this morning said that it was unlikely the FA would look at this because Atkinson had been deemed to deal with it. But well, I think I, you know just what? because referee spoken to him, I think he should be should be looked at right. again. It, it, He's right. got form on this. Yeah, the, the, listen, I, Compulsive I, shover, Arsene. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we can joke about this, and, and there's a part of me that, that loves this because I grew up with professional wrestling and, and, and the manager's fighting was just as much of it. And, you know, I thought, like, cool. You know, this is, this is awesome. But there's also a part of me, perhaps as I get older, that says, you know what? This is not so awesome. Because I'm just imagining a player on the pitch and seeing these two guys ratchet up the, the, the intensity at this point and the antics and the shoving and then he goes away and then he comes back in and the finger pointing. I'm just wondering if that doesn't – I'm going to leave the whole example to the kids thing aside. But if that doesn't just, just ratchet up the intensity, the, the pressure further so that you know maybe Danny Welbeck – thinks in this climate I'm going to go and do this absurd two-footed tackle which is the kind of tackle you should be putting stocks for in my opinion. Danny Murphy made that kind of point a few years back didn't he when, and funnily enough uh, at a time when Wenger's team was suffering really bad injuries and he was kind of blaming managers for winding up their team so much in this sort of get into them attitude that, that they ended up with making tackles uh, that ended up with players getting very bad injuries and so you may have a point and it, it's kind of ironic that it's Wenger who, who is the one who is so highly strong and after as you say perhaps winding his team up to finally show some spirit against Chelsea that you might have a point yeah, I don't, I mean, I, my my instinct is to think that it's all laughable. Although I love the idea of Mourinho as Jimmy, the mouth of the South Heart. I think that's perfect. And even sort of saying he shoved him, and it's it's just so sort of schoolyard and playground. And yeah, he kind of did push him a little bit, but who cares? It was, it wasn't it wasn't like he punched him. To be fair, Gab, you, you probably do have a point that it does sort of add to an atmosphere which could, in some circumstances, and it didn't in this one because Welbeck's tackle was a bad one but no one got hurt, it could potentially, if, if that's allowed to kind of spiral lead to such a sort of highly charged atmosphere that someone gets injured and that, that obviously is way, bad. Isn't, yeah. isn't it the other way around? The reason he was behaving like that was because he'd already had that speech to the players. He'd already tried to well, how do you know what make he said them to the, feel... Yeah, but, it's, how do you know but it's evidence this, of, this is, of the fact that he was kind of really... And I agree with you. I don't think it's... I think the way that funny, the narrative of it will play out was that, is that it was Vendor frustrated... Like in a year's time, two years' time, three years' time, we'll talk about it as evidence of Vendor being frustrated by Mourinho. It was nil-nil. He wasn't frustrated by the game. But I think he, as Dicko says this morning, he does, he does have this mental block a little bit with, with Mourinho. He does, Mourinho frustrates him inordinately in a lot of ways, mostly because his def- he can't find a way through his defence. Unfortunately, but the, but the thing about this again is that, you know, a lot of people said that, you know, 
we are to blame again because all the build-up to this was not really Arsenal versus Chelsea, it was Wenger versus Mourinho. He's just added to this because come the, the fixture at the Emirates again, we're not we're going to be talking about more. Do you remember what happened last time? And you know we're yeah. going to be talking about those managers again. Are anybody bothered by the lack of handshake at the end? Nah, no. It's the 21st century. Everyone just needs to grow up. Anybody want to make the think of the children slash role model argument? No, they tried to do that on Match of the Day too and they almost sniggered at how how ridiculous it was to even mention children. I don't have children. There's not yet. But if my children were... Were had chosen as their role models Jose Mourinho and Arsene Wenger, <laughs> I'd be really worried for a number of reasons. All right, so uh, enough of that. Uh, you know where to send your complaints. Now, one of the things which struck me was in the in the aftermath, Wenger made the point that uh, I think it was Oscar Ivanovic and Cahill should have been sent off, and Mourinho uh, said Koscielny, Welbeck, and Chambers should have been sent off. Well, might this have made a difference to the game if? He'd been a little bit more forceful with the cards before. Yeah, well, I think I think I don't know for sure, but it looks like what happened was that Atkinson was Atkinson, wasn't mm-hmm. it? He got the first one wrong, which was Cahill on Sanchez, and I don't blame him for getting it wrong because there are only some angles where you can see how horrendous a tackle it was. Referees do this; they they set out what sort of game they're going to have quite early on with the first incident, and because he didn't give a red there, he erred on the side of kindness when it came to the cards I mean in the end I, I think and I imagine we all agree the better side won the yep. scoreline was probably fair whatever the reason I don't want to see this is because I don't want to see star players who I pay money to watch and we enjoy watching getting hurt and being out half the season and that is what could have happened given the the, the way the game was going with, with, with some of those fouls yeah yeah, that's the, and that's the referee's job ultimately is to is to nip things in the bud before it gets to the stage where someone might get hurt. And just because someone doesn't get hurt doesn't mean that they've made the right decision or that kind of things have done well. It's just it's pure chance that the Welbeck doesn't. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, Chelsea should go. That's logical. Chelsea has to go. Chambers has to go for a second yellow, no question. Welbeck was a red. Cahill was a red. Yeah. All right, Chelsea look like at this stage they're they're running away with it. Anybody willing to go on a limb and anoint them at this stage? Oh yeah. They're champions unless they're they mess champ, up, yeah. 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 Okay. There's, no, there's, it's no, there's not they're for champions losing, unless they're champions. All right. I will throw up a counter argument about why that might not be the case. The one thing Because Western civilization is collapsing <laughs> and we might not finish the season. <laughs> no, my one concern a little bit about this is Mourinho does not particularly like to rotate. And if Chelsea go far in the Champions League as well, that's going to take a lot out of them. Obviously, it'll take a lot out of Manchester City or whoever you think the, the nearest challenger is going to be as well. But I kind of feel that because he rotates less, there could well be more wear and tear. And I think in certain positions, yeah, if you know, John Terry's not getting any younger, if some of these guys, maybe central defense, some, some key positions get hurt, I think the drop-off with with bringing in Zuma, who's hardly played in the Premier League, or, or Ivanovic, who would then force you to rejigger, and we'd have Felipe Luis, a left-back, and so on. I, I think it could perhaps damage Chelsea more than, say, City. Yeah, but that, by that point, there'll be 22 points clear, and teams will visit the bridge, and they'll do that. This is the game we can afford to lose, because we're not expected to win. And it'll just become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think it'll be interesting to see whether... I felt with City for a while that they kind of City play in patches and they kind of turn it on when they need to and they have like they're a bit they're kind of crap for a bit and then Yaya or Silva or Aguero just thinks right sod it this I'll, I'll sort this out and they score and they win and they're kind of you're left with the impression that they are both they're simultaneously kind of really impressive and and not that impressive at all really they're kind of 
they're, 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 they're a weird t- I can't quite as you can probably tell can't quite vocalise it but they're a weird team city but it'll be interesting to see how they will perform with a proper monster to deal with do you know what I mean Just they, they, there hasn't been that team in the Premier League for a while even United when in, in Ferdy's last title winning season they weren't kind of they didn't give you that sense that they'd have won the title in the Premier League's golden years in kind of 2004 2005 2006 I don't think it, there is the last four years hasn't brought us a champion that would have competed in those years with that Chelsea and, and you know the invincible Arsenal and the the best United. It would be interesting to see whether City can raise their game to match a Chelsea that are possi- potentially as good as anything that has been in the Premier League. Another potential counter-argument to, to Chelsea, which came to mind while I was listening closely and intently to Rory, Diego Costa. Now, unless we believe Mourinho's being Pinocchio when he says that, that he's got a major hamstring problem and he can't play three times a week and so on, I mean... And he did have, of course, a major injury at the end of last season. Something happens to him. Can you win a title with Loic Remy and old Didier? That's the big problem, I think. I, I think Mourinho has been a bit economical with the truth about Costa's fitness, although I'm also suspicious that I think, having spoken to Costa about it last week, and Mourinho won't really, talk, won't really answer the question, I think the problem is the same problem. I think this is an, an. I don't think he's ever really got over the injury he got at the New Camp on the last day of the season last season. I think there is, there is a weakness there, and they w- they will have to manage that. And Costa without, with or Chelsea without Costa, yeah, then they're, they're not quite as fearsome. Or indeed Chelsea with World Cup version Diego Costa. Yeah. Final final thing on this: uh, Thibaut Courtois' head injury. Disgrace, utter disgrace that they like, let him play. He was out cold. <laughs> He was out. I just don't. What is? The, I mean, you no. Know, Mourinho said afterwards he didn't have to think about it. He just wants the doctors to say yes or no very quickly. But well, isn't that is, in itself putting pressure on the doctors to say yes or no very quickly? Did they quickly? actually follow those guidelines? I mean, who was it? I thought. Um, oh God, I've forgotten her name. But anyway, the um, Eva. Chelsea, Eva comes on. I, I didn't actually see anybody else. She came on, did an assessment. There was a doctor and she in the tunnel. Got up. Was it? Was well. What does he do? In the, you know, he's in the tunnel. The player's surely got to get there, and he didn't come off the pitch. No, it's like it's like it's like going to the doctor. Is he just it's like going to the doctor the and say, "Oh, doctor, doctor, uh, I want a really quick answer. Just have a look at my face. Have I got cancer or not?" And he has to go, "Uh, no." And then you go off and you have a nice life, and then you die six months later because you didn't say the right yes or no. It's ridiculous to say you just want your medical staff to say yes or no. The guy needed to be properly assessed, and he had blood coming out of his ears. Did we oh, ever apparently, it was really a scratch did? on his ear. If he had blood coming out of his ear, he was out cold. Oh, that's dreadful that he right. played. I off. guess the problem is, is because you, you, you're in that. It's the goalkeeping position, isn't it? I mean, you can no, they, you can allow a, a defender or somebody else to come off and uh, you know, mess around for a bit. There's a very a obvious while. solution to this, Clive. And, you know, while I think the three-minute break passed by FIFA and UEFA is better than nothing, mm. um, the obvious solution is this. You have an independent doctor, not somebody who's, played, who's paid by either of the two clubs or, indeed, the Premier League. And when there's a suspected concussion, he goes and he examines the player, and you have a temporary substitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? You know, in, enough of this, sense. you know, the yeah. sanctity of the game, whatever. You send somebody on. Yeah. If the player can come back on... He comes back on. If he can't come back on, then you've burned one of your substitutions. Here's Barry. Blocked. Oviedo. Brilliant save. De Gea has rescued Manchester United. A penalty save in the first half and two outstanding saves in the second. They can thank their goalkeeper if United hang on. Let's go to Old Trafford. United and Everton. Now, I, I like Louis Fethel because I find myself agreeing with so much of what he says. And 
after the game, he came out and he talked about basically how bad his team were in the second half, and maybe part of it is down to his tactics. And yeah, I kind of like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> they were bad. I'd add it's not just tactics, I think it's personnel, because when you chuck in, you know, this Patty McNair guy, listen, maybe he will turn into a superstar, but he's 19 years old. This is his second ever game for United. You know, I, I don't care if you're Bobby Moore, Thiago Silva, or, or Paolo Maldini, your second ever game probably was not a particularly good one. Uh, or you, you know, you certainly weren't at that level. Rojo, I think we've amply covered. So maybe it's not so surprising that, you know, they're in the lead and they can't hang on, and and it takes some super saves from De Gea. Am I wrong here, Roy? Is it no? You know, the, the thing that frustrates me with United is almost like there's this kind of this monochrome kind of assessment. Like they're they're either finished and in crisis, or they are potential champions. There's, there's very little middle ground. So as soon as they win a game, it becomes kind of Man United are back, and then they lose a game, and it's United are in crisis. It's all going wrong. You know, Van Hal's got got three weeks to save his revolution. It's ridiculous. They're gonna they're gonna do this all season. They're gonna probably they'll win more games than they lose. They'll probably score quite a lot of goals. They'll be quite good to watch. Ankel Di Maria will continue to look like he's by some distance the best player in the Premier League. But they'll be terrible at the back. Is Man United? That's that's what they're gonna they're gonna do. They will be. They'll drop loads of points because they they can't defend. They've got City, Chelsea, and Arsenal coming up. Right. Who we're gonna give them a real real test. West Ham should have taken a draw at Old Trafford last week. Everton should probably have beaten them, really, given the number of chances they had on uh, on Sunday. But uh, by the same token, United are great going forward, and they will slowly but surely build a bit of kind of resilience. I well, think. Uh, let me let me throw this at you uh, because okay. Fred Howe came out and said, "Oh, but look, we're we're fourth on the table." The guy, who, if his interlocutor had perhaps been a little bit more uh, well versed at the time, he might have said, "Yeah, Louis, but." You have two points fewer than David Moyes, who we all slaughtered as some kind of numpty last year, and you spent 150 million pounds that David Moyes didn't spend, and you're better paid and have a better CV than David Moyes, and in your next five games, uh, you're playing Chelsea, Arsenal, and Manchester City. Hello. And you've basically played mostly rubbish thus far this year. Actually, maybe it is really, really bad at Old Trafford, and it'll get really bad because you know, they're not going to hang on to those games. I don't, I don't think it's really, really bad. I just, I think there is, I think you probably, we need to have a slightly more nuanced discussion about where they are in their process. The thing about the, we're, we're not playing well but winning thing, it's not a, a sort of certainty that they will suddenly become this amazing team. They might not. They still, they're still really imbalanced in, the, in, the, in kind of their, their first 11 and their squad. So I think that there's just going to be this process with United where every week we're going to either have United are terrible or United are amazing. There's, there's not going to be any kind of... United are kind of getting there slowly, but surely there'll be a few hiccups along the way. Clive, Everton have basically been pretty darn poor for, for the last four or five weeks. They played in some place called Krasnodar on, on Thursday. Yeah, I thought they were, they were horrible in the first half, but they got back into it and they created those chances at the end. If you're, if you're Roberto Martinez, you just chalk it up to fatigue? You know, they, they seem to create Riddle more me that in the second half. And they left, I mean, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of people who weren't playing in, you know, in, in that game against Krasnodar. I'm not sure about the exact lineup, but I'm pretty sure it would have been quite a few changes. As yeah, Roberto still had to travel and stuff. It's a long way to go. There's no direct flights from Liverpool, John Lennon Airport to, 
Uh, not wholly, wholly buying that. As I said, because as you say, Everton had chances in that second half where they could have quite easily come away, and and we, the, the narrative would have been different if it hadn't been for those De Gea saves. And so the the idea of tiredness probably wouldn't have come into it. I don't think. The one thing but about they are Everton, having a horrible time at the moment. I'm not, yeah. But they have played Arsenal, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool. So they have a, yeah. they've had a terrible yeah, start to the season, but they they have played. They've had a tough schedule. They've had, they've a, really had a tough, tough schedule. schedule, but are they actually? <laughs> Are they playing as well as... It's not the same kind of no. kind of fluid Everton as we saw last season, I, is it? I, I, w- I want to check out a tactical question related to everything because I was struck by this. So he's obviously big on having Romelu Lukaku on the wing and it's not hard to understand why the idea is he creates mismatches with fullbacks who are, who are smaller than he is and you know possibly over, over 30 yards slower. We can debate whether it works or not, but Allison... I don't know, why do I turn on my TV and see, like, producers with their little graphic toys showing, like, ooh, look at Lukaku. He's not getting touches in the box. He's supposed to be in the box. Lukaku's rubbish. He's not getting in the box. Hey, he's doing what the manager says, isn't he? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah that, that is rather silly. Yeah, they should, there's no point showing that graphic. You just have to say he's playing. He played out on the right one week, then he played on the left the next week, and... <laughs> That's what he's been doing. But the, 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 I'd be the worried if Naismith didn't have touches in the box. Exactly. The, but the crucial point is whether Lukaku is that 20. 20- a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Eight million. Is that what you want to do with your biggest ever purchase is when you bought him because he was so much of a terror as an out-and-out centre-forward? And he doesn't... His body language is poor. He doesn't look particularly happy. And he was happy to stay. And suddenly his role's changed. I, I... I see what you mean about yeah he will he will create an imbalance because he's an imposing athletic figure but I, 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 I if it was me I'd just play him as centre forward and make everyone else work to him you've got people who can cross the ball to him he can hold the ball up you've got people with pace who can run off him I don't see why you push him out wide he doesn't look happy you want him to be happy he's got to score goals that's what he does Martinez was making the point at the beginning of the season that their kind of transfer strategy and team strategy was going to be built around getting Lukaku and then you stick him yeah, somewhere else. But the, tra- the transfer strategy was buy Lukaku and then do nothing and else. And then do nothing else. <laughs> but then also, 
also, he was doing this a lot last season. He was playing, he was pulling wide, whatever his nominal sort of initial starting position was. He would pull wide and create that that mismatch against the fullback, and that it worked last season. So it, it's not necessarily that his um, role has changed. It's just that he's not doing it as well. Hang on, point. I was thinking about United. Falcao scored, and I think did you, was it you who wrote about the? Did you give Di Maria an assist for that? Yeah. Yeah, it was me. He does that a lot, doesn't he? he? That's how Matt has scored. He's got three assists, all from mishit shots. How do you know they're mishit shots? How do you know he's not thinking about it? You can tell. I mean, unless unless he's. I mean, I think, as I say, Angel Di Maria is the best player in England. Unless he's an even better player than than anyone can imagine, and he can make a cross (laughs) look like a mishit shot so as to fool the defence, I think it's safe to say they're mishit shots. They're still assists, they count. What do we make about uh, Falcao's ability to play alongside Fan Percy? vis-a-vis this notion that they're both centre forwards and they like to be up there on their own. Did we show any sign? Was there any evidence that there is some kind of complementary partnership developing? That that idea of like Shearer and Sutton and Fowler and Rush or whatever those sort of cl- those classic partnerships who who only ever pass to each other and what have you. I think that's a bit outdated. I think what Van Persie and Falcao do is they're both really really good footballers and the, their presence frightens defences. That seems to be the plan. That whether they they kind of interacting on the pitch or not is is irrelevant. They're just quite intimidating to their opponent. I thought they looked like when you go to a party and there are two people who hate each other. Everyone else is happy, but two people hate each other and they just want to have fun at the party and they just drift around the room pretending that the other person isn't there. That's what it looked a bit like to me, rather than them having this great understanding and relishing and embracing the other's presence. I I'm not saying they hate each other. I'm just saying no, you I, ca- it is possible to look good and play well without necessarily embracing the partner you have. I think this could become an issue if they don't find a way to click. And, 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 and I totally see where you're coming from for a purely tactical reason. It would be different if they were playing a, a, you know, a straight uh, 4-4-2 with, with a flat four in midfield. But when you play a diamond, you already have Mata or Rooney or whomever coming into the middle. So they, they have to spend a lot of time wide offering widths and that's not that's not their game uh, you and I think what we saw is actually Valencia and Di Maria uh, the, the two sides of the diamonds often going often being stretched wide and that put further pressure on Dali Blind who I have got major reservations about whether he's any good in the Premier League and and I think that's part of the reason why in the second half they suffered and part of the reason why Falcao came off final final point is Shaw on Hibbert penalty Baines uh, as it saves by De Gea, um, right call? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I didn't realise it was... Yeah. I think, you should, I think it's a, Everton should have a penalty every time Tony Hibbert gets in the box. <laughs> I think it was, it was a bit special. A right, crap no, penalty, no. that, wasn't it? Only reason I ask is because... Do you think it was a rubbish penalty? Really bad penalty, that. Terrible so? penalty. Well, terrible penalty. penalty. Yeah. By his standards, yeah. it was poor. I can, I, can t- I can tell you a better penalty than that. Is that was a bad penalty. This is his first penalty missing yards, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, about f- 14. First out of 14. 14. Mm-hmm. There you go. In our uh, debate this week, I'm going to submit an idea because we have an international break coming up. I, I, I do wonder, with all the bait and the ill will, and you've got the, the Sturridge situation and the Diego Costa situation, uh, they do this in rugby to, uh, to some degree. Would we be better off if we just simply... You know, start the season whenever we start the season, have no international breaks whatsoever, and then wrap things up in mid-April, and then have a proper international season between mid-April, say, and well, mid-June, late June, or whatever, in non-World Cup or Euro years, and then when you have a European Championship or a World Cup, obviously you, you play that competition. Might that actually solve a lot of problems? My thinking is that 
people would get more excited for the national team. The national team would be together for a whole chunk of time. You wouldn't have managers whinging and whining about losing players to international breaks. You wouldn't have a break in the flow. No, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I think that the problem with the international break at the moment is that interna- like after the World Cup, it felt like international football mattered again, and we'd, we'd all like, really enjoyed the World Cup, and we'd seen that kind of South American image of what international football means to them, and we'd remembered that we quite like international... When, when international football's good, we, we kind of like it. And then the problem is you go back into kind of the day-to-day trudge of lead football, and then they, they, they seem to do all they can to make people hate international football as much as possible. Mm. So they have the, the stupid friendly before the start of the season, and they think, well, that'll get them quite angry. But let, to get them really, really angry, let's have one just after the season started. Then we'll have another international break. Then we'll get to October, we'll have another one. So you get this stupid There's another one in November, too. There's another one in November. So it's not really until they, December that you get, like, a full kind of... Yeah, to be fair, they, they, they kind of have to do that because... December, January, February, you can't have yeah. international dates because of all the snowbound yeah, yeah. countries. No, no, that's, um, that's fine, but it, 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 it definitely has a kind of de- a deleterious effect on, yeah, no. on kind of how we perceive international football. The fact that, and it's not an argument I have any truck with, but the fact that so many of the qualifiers are quite boring this, nowadays, and obviously football's not just about the big countries, so that's not, that's something that we have to suffer as, as a first world football nation, so that other maybe second world football nations can thrive that's fine but it's not particularly helpful when a lot of people are obsessed with kind of the big, the big leads so no there is there is a reason there is a kind of an okay it feels right to have seismic change in the way things are run i think that's absolutely right you know what's funny about this is this i mean people talked about this like put 15 years ago and then it was kind of forgotten but i talked about this with Karl heinz rubeniger who of course is with the um eca which represents the clubs and uh, he's in favor of it, but then he tells me, oh, but you know, UEFA and FIFA would never go for it. You talk to the folks at, at UEFA, and they're like, well, yeah, sure, why not? Seems like a good idea, would help promote the international game. But of course, the clubs would never go for it. So I think this is one of those things that could actually happen if you actually got those two people to talk to each other and you put it back on the agenda. I think what Rory said, I sort of feel the opposite is true, is if you have a near-perfect World Cup, the last thing you want to do is then have more of the same, knowing it can't possibly be the same. I don't, I don't think it's logical to assume because the World Cup was so fantastic, people want more international football because they know they're not going to get anything like with a friendly. They're not going to get anything like what they just had. So it makes sense for me to have a big gap at the end of a tournament and to, to squeeze the qualification together into some sort of festival of football so that Wembley hosts a series of matches and then the England team have to go off somewhere else where somewhere else is hosting a series of matches, get it all out of the way very in a condensed period. feels slightly wacky, but if, if what we're caring about is how the fans feel and enthusiasm for it, you, 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 need, you need a huge space between the end of one key tournament and the start of right. the process to the next. Exactly. And I think... With, with with this plan, there'd be so much. There would be such long gaps between internationals that I think people would actually be excited uh, to have them come up again. Uh, since none of you guys are coming up with counter arguments, the one counter argument um, to this is that oh, but if all your qualifying is in June, then what happens when you're you know if you have two or three superstar players who all get injured at the same time, then that'll affect you, and that could mean that you won't qualify for the major tournament. Well, yeah, but that can kind of happen anyway, and also, it and also they could get hurt for the major tournament. Yeah, and then, mm. yeah. Does injuries can happen, and you know, it would be that, yeah, Portugal's three best players get injured for their you know, their three most crucial qualifiers all in March, or whatever. The, the other problem would be that 
if you have it at the end of the season, does that is that not kind of automatically relegated international football, sort of subconsciously possibly to a kind of right. secondary status, well, and everyone's knackered? That's the same argument though that people make about the World Cup or the Euros, right? So, should we should we play the World Cup and the Euros in August? Why don't we play them in November in the Middle East? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> all right, enough of this debate. Y'all agree with me, which is good, so you've all chosen the correct answers. Now, it's time to move on to everybody's favorite part of the show. We call this Quick Hits. Uh, we do have some more rules this year, uh, which I will enforce very sternly. Clive, you will need to answer your question within 20 seconds. Otherwise, you will hear this noise. And <laughs> if you hit the 25-second uh, mark, you will hear this noise. Right, so here we go. Spurs ordinarily are awful after Europa League nights, but they looked pretty good in overcoming Southampton. One nil. Clive, is your glass half full again? I'm kind of taking a conscious decision to always have a, a, a half full glass as far as Spurs are concerned this season, So because we're just one of those teams that go up and down in waves. So good result. Uh, Adebayor has obviously been stung by the criticism we got the other week by doing nothing, so he decided better put in a shift this week, and it kind of worked. So... Yep, glass is definitely half full. Pochettino taking you to the promised land. Brendan Rodgers drops that lazy, wasted Mario Balotelli for Ricky Lambert, and Liverpool win again, beating West Brom 2-1. And now that Sturridge is on his way back, we'll never see Balotelli and his poor body language and negative attitude and all-around laziness ever again. Fair assessment, Rory? No. Uh, the way that Balotelli's been made a scapegoat for Liverpool's problems is ridiculous. He's not a bad player. He's not become a bad player. I don't think he's as good as you do, Gab, but he's not a bad player. He might be the wrong player for Liverpool. He might not do the right things in that system. But to blame him for a team that is so flawed in so many ways is ludicrous. Uh, I'm sure that when Sturridge is back, Balotelli will be back as well, probably more effectively because he's got someone running off him. So he starts next game? I would imagine so. Manchester City stay in the hunt, winning 2-0 at Aston Villa in a game which saw Yaya Toure regain his mojo. Alison, is this the real City side? Um, they look a real City side when Yaya's playing well. Uh, it was a, a really lovely goal and um, he sort of grew in stature as the game went on. I sort of feel if he has emotional issues, then why was he being played? I don't, I don't, I don't, see, I don't see why your manager comes out and makes excuses for your player if... if he hasn't been playing well and tells people to get off his back because he's had problems but if he's over them and he's playing well City will always look better Sam Allardyce puts out a formation that includes Stuart Downing Jafra Sacco Morgan Amalfitano uh, Mauro Zarate and Enner Valencia uh, that seems pretty darn attacking to me Clive has Big Sam turned over a new leaf are the ugly old stereotypes gone once and for all or will it be different once Carroll is fit again and Nolan goes on his chicken runs? It's undeniable. They they bought well in the summer and they now have a variety. They have various they have a variety of plans which they didn't have last season when they were stuck with the one option which was Carroll and he wasn't there. So they struggled. Uh, and never know, perhaps Teddy Sheringham being brought in may have had an, an influence on Sam as well. Um, or perhaps we've just Sam has been much maligned in the past and actually his one-dimensional long ball uh, tag was unjustified in the first place. I was just impressed they had all these skillful attacking players on the pitch, although getting it, that was against QPR. Papi Cisse scores two to help Newcastle avoid defeat. Rory, would you rather talk about uh, the Toons draw or just make fun of Pardew for that stupid comment about polishing his manager of the year trophy? I, I think that might be uh, a euphemism for Alan Pardew and that troubles me oh, deeply. Oh, come on, Gab, don't be like that. Um, no, they're, they're kind of showing a bit of spirit, Newcastle. Uh, I, I don't know whether they 
that they'll show enough spirit to get Pardew out of the hole that he is in, in terms of his popularity with the fans and, and the club's kind of endless problems in, in terms of their, their ownership, but they, they probably won't get relegated. Is there such a thing as playing for the manager? No. No, I don't think so. Roy Hodgson says, while referring to Rooney and the captaincy, that it's tough to be a leader of men when you have a Scouse accent. Allison, can you relate to this in any way? Do you understand what he's trying to say? Is it even worth making a big deal out of this? Well, Roy replaced one Scouse captain with another Scouse captain, so he doesn't seem to really think that being Scouse is a, a barrier to doing the captaincy job well. I think what Roy was trying to say was that uh, Wayne isn't the brightest button in the box. Then he thought better of it and offered him the excuse that he has a Scouse accent and it all came out horribly wrong. I love the conversation on Twitter where people... A, a pointed out that uh, Rooney's Scouse accent isn't particularly strong relative mm -hmm. to uh, other players from Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And also somebody says, isn't the real problem that Wayne Rooney sounds like a child when he speaks? <laughs> uh, for Dab, I'm not reading this like you've written it because I'm not playing the, your sort of stupid English patsy anymore. Uh, Juventus played Roma on Sunday night. What I meant to say is that it was, I guess it was a tight defensive, defensive <laughs> uber-tactical affair, because obviously English people know, know nothing about foreign football. <laughs> but what actually happened was that Juve won 3-2 quite fortuitously with a very lucky Leonardo, Leonardo Bonucci goal five minutes from time, isn't it? I don't think the goal was lucky. I, I thought it was a great volley. I think where they were yeah. lucky, where they got certainly lucky, was with the uh, officiating, uh, which went uh, their way, a very controversial... Um, penalty for a Mike on hand ball. He was in the wall and certainly looked outside the box to me and uh, also a lot of debate, a lot of very technical debate about the change in the passive offside rule going on with uh, Bonucci's goal and where Vidal was actually standing. Um, what I thought was really interesting about this game is that uh, on Twitter so many people um, were talking, whoa, what a brilliant game this is. This is in intense, end-to-end, -end, uh, passionate, blah, blah, blah. Whereas then I flip on Sky Italia and I've got um, the pundits there sort of complaining, oh, what a rubbish game this is. This is <laughs> out of control. Um, and and uh, this looks like a Premier League game, which is also kind of funny because they talk about how great <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Ooh. Now somebody else's favorite part of the show. Any other business? Oh, yeah, I do. I did it last week. You can do it this week. I do. Um, I want to talk about Valencia. Neither Enner, right, wait, wait. Enner, Antonio, no, Valencia. Nuno Espirito Santo. N Nuno Espirito Santo. More specifically, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's assistant, who is Scottish. Uh, Valencia were doing really well. They beat Atle Atletico 3-1 at the weekend. Uh, they scored three goals in 15 minutes, I think. 13 minutes, actually. 13 minutes. Well, who's counting? Um, they've, got, they've obviously had huge financial problems. Peter Lim's takeover, I think, is still not fully completed. It's all a bit weird. Uh, George Mendes doesn't have his tentacles into the club at all. He's not getting loads of his own players sort of sent there instead of, a, instead of to Monaco. Uh, but Nuno, who was his, Mendes' his first ever client, should really buy, buy that token and be a terrible manager. He's doing a good job. Uh, Sorry, why would being George Mendes' his first is, ever client make you a bad manager? Because as soon as you see that Mendes is linked to a club, and he's put Nuno in, his first ever client, you assume it's, it's favours or he's a puppet master or, or whatever. But I can he's think of one Mendes client who's a pretty good manager. Yes, obviously, yeah. But no, the fact that it's Nuno is, right. is his first ever client, it, looks, it, it maybe doesn't make you think that automatically, right. but it makes you wonder. Um, but Nuno is doing a very good job. Nuno at large, the Scottish coaching academy where everyone goes because it's cheap, met a man by the name of Ian Cathro, who used to work at Dundee United, who is a very, very interesting man and is one whose name is worth remembering. Can you repeat that name so we can all remember it? Ian Cathro. Right. 
I have uh, breathed any other business, which is that I was at uh, West Ham QPR on Sunday and uh, Redknapp, he's very, very downbeat, a uh, bit cross. Harry or Jamie? Harry. And he, he said this ever since the season started. He said that his players aren't fit enough and um, they, they, they play particularly poorly. And he, he, said, he said, oh, you know, I had a lot of faith in Sandro and uh, he's just not fit. Then why on earth is he playing him? Uh, it's as though Redknapp has a plan of action in his head. He's telling us he knows not all his players are fit, and yet he's ignoring what he knows. They're not fit. They're not match fit. And then he plays them, and then he wonders why their perf- the, the overall performance is so weak. Mm. Just seems very peculiar to me. If you, if you, doesn't matter how much you like Sandro. He obviously likes him a lot. He brought him to the club. If he's not fit, don't play him. More to the point, when you're talking about fitness, you're talking about conditioning, or is he talking conditioning. about health? Conditioning, no conditioning. Just well, not, not being up to, not so there yet, not there yet, not at the level where you can play in the Premier League. If it's if it's a conditioning thing, then isn't it down to the manager to hire a conditioning and fitness guy to? I mean, if they're healthy, well, it's they probably should be. everyone's responsibility, including his. Agreed. But I just, it just, there's some sort of weird false logic going on. Well, there. Joey Barton's but I injured. Blame him. Joey Barton's injured. If you're injured. actually injured, yes, you can't play someone. But if they're not match fit, don't play them either. No, I'm saying Joey Barton's injured, so then maybe that's why Sandro plays. He's he's large and he's Brazilian and he can kick the ball really hard. But, yes, but if he's not match fit, he's not match fit. Don't, don't at the end of the game when the team has played badly and Sandro has been innocuous say, oh, disappointed he's not match fit. Someone at QPR described their preseason to me as the worst they'd ever known. So I suspect that if the players aren't fit, then you probably have to look at the management, don't you? Well, and the motivation, which yeah. must have been financial. Have you been going bowling with Armand Traore? Again? I have. Me and Armand Traore are in a, in a bowling league. Uh, we did very well. Name drop number three on today's <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes or something called Player FM, please do so immediately. Many thanks to my guests today, the excellent Alison Rudd, the excellent Clive Petty, and Roy K. Smith, who's also excellent, of course. Check out thetimes.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. That's right, cricket highlights. Join the Kevin Peterson debate, which is going on in every cricket-loving household in England. Not a member yet? Take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Time Sport online. See you next week. Same place, same time, same bat channel. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.